0: continuing a series today called Live to Give. And it is a it is a message on on money and learning to break money's hold over our lives, whether you think you're poor or rich, uh, these things could have a hold on you. We started this. Now listen, if you're new here, we're not we, we don't preach on money regularly or often. In fact, this is the first time in four years where I've taken a direct approach at coming after our hearts as it pertains to this, and I had to personally wrestle through sharing these things as a pastor. And I felt like the Holy Spirit put in my heart, and I'm just sharing this with you this, that while I am not called to be a fundraiser, I am called to be a disciple maker. And part of discipling people is teaching them how to manage the financial peace of their life before God in a God-honoring way. And so as we dive into this again today, uh, you know, we've, we've had three messages so far that have been kind of heart-hitting today is a very practical message. But I want to review the first one I gave. and It started with a story I told you in the first week. In that first week, I was awakened in the middle of the night to my grandson who was crying. And we were, we were babysitting them. And I went to get William, and I, I, was, I was holding him. And and then my wife you know, prepared another place for him. And he, he began to sleep fine. But you know, when you wake up in the middle of the night to a child that's like, my, my adrenaline gets going, and falling back to sleep is almost pointless. You know, I'm just sitting there, my brain's racing. And I began to think about, uh, for whatever reason, this series, because, you know, as we get ahead, I begin to think about these things, and I knew it was coming eventually. And as I was thinking about the series, I was kind of like, well, kind of happy in my heart that at least I get to preach from something I live. Because, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm pretty generous. And I heard the Holy Spirit speak to my heart, yeah, no, no, not really. I'm like, Lord, what do you mean? I tithe, I give 10% of my income, I, I give more than that. He says, you're focused, listen to this, and I want you to pay attention to this, and I want you to look at your own life. He said, you're focused on what you're giving. I'm focused on what you're holding back. And the whole idea behind this series is Jesus preached a message and said, you can't serve God in money. There's a way that money can get a hold of us, and it acts like a God in our life. And we look at three ideas as God gave me a heart check, I turned it around and I passed it on to you. Isn't that nice? That's what friends do for each other. <laughs> Misery loves company, pay it forward, all that kind of stuff, right? So Jesus said in Matthew 6 21, He says, Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He didn't say where your time is, where your service is. Oh, not while I think time and energy and talent, where it gets placed, is important, there's no doubt in the mind of Christ there's a direct connection between our heart and our money, and and how it holds us. And so there were three ideas I brought out to you in that first message. Your thoughts about money reveal your source. Here's what I mean by that. How you think about acquiring money, how you think about how you get it, my hard work earned this for me. I I shared a, a time when I said to someone, man, God has really blessed you. And that person said to me, oh, God didn't bless me. I worked hard for this. And I said, so who gave you your body to work hard with and that oxygen in your lungs that you're breathing? If any part of your body is of significant importance like your brain or your heart stop or maybe you can't inhale oxygen right now, how long will your hard work hold you up, pal? So it's foolish to act like there's not a God in the universe. Lydia just, our, 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 our daughter Jessica um, just gave birth to our fourth grandchild on, on Thursday night or Friday morning or whatever it was, Thursday and Friday. Gary and Rita, raise your hands. Their grandparents also in this party, so we share that, that joy. But, the, but uh, my wife was having a conversation with uh, uh, the midwife or the midwife apprentice, and they were talking about the placenta, and they were just looking at it, and like you think, the placenta? Gross, or why would anybody want to do that? And the midwife was showing how like, there's little vessels that, that carry nutrition in and then other vessels that carry waste out, and you're telling me that's just a little bit of happenstance and slime plus time, and wow, it was an amazing, explosive thing that happened, and suddenly this all works. <laughs> that, that'd be like throwing 20 uh, paint cans in the air and having a masterpiece show up on the wall. And so I, I confess there's a God, and if there's a God, then he's a source, and if he's the source, my money is a resource. Are you following me? And if my resource provider, my job, or whatever ever changes, if I am in covenant with a God who loves me, who gave me life, then he'll open up doors for new resources if the current resource fails. Second idea that we brought out is how you worship God with money reveals your trust. And by trust, I mean your surrender. How you worship God with money. And by worship, we talked about that basically the idea of worship and worth are connected. If Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. It's not that God needs our money. It's that our heart needs to worship God with the things that we value the most. There are people around us that might need our money. The poor, the needy. There's things that we, uh, there's people that, people that we should honor in our lives. I just had a 50th birthday celebration last week, you know, and yeah, I'm, I'm old now. That's all, no, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm young, I mean, I plan to live to be 120, I'm not even middle age yet, so. Um, but people gave me gifts, why do they do that? They're, they're showing, well, maybe because they had, were invited to a party so they feel like they have to. But some people did it to show honor and appreciation. In the same way, on my birthday, some people are actually showing honor and appreciation from the heart, and some are just doing it as an obligatory thing to look like something. Their heart's not for me at all, or, or minimal. Or they love their money more, but they did it because other people are watching. That's the way some in the church treat money. And the way we treat giving to God or giving to the things of God. Some people do it from the heart. Others are doing it out of compulsion. And that's not what God wants for us. We're going to talk about that more. And the third thing is how you spend your money reveals your values. And I want to talk about that just for a minute. That's where we ended. And we're going to spend a portion here in the beginning Talking about that. I'm going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, it starts here in verse 17. Command those, listen to this, who are rich in this present world. Okay, that means if there's a present world, he's implying that there's another world to come. He gets to the end of that at the end of this passage. But they're rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they'll lay up for themselves a firm foundation for the coming age. So in this present age, they're generous, they share their rich in good deeds, and they're laying up a foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that's truly life. It's not that they're not investing it here in this life. It's not that they're wasting it. They're investing it, not in this life, but in the one that's to come. And this is what he's saying. So here's the question. This, This is a command from the Apostle Paul. This is not the divine suggestion. It's a command. I mean, it starts with, command those who are rich in this age. Command those. So the question is, what keeps a lot of Christians from living this out? Now, I want to be clear. If you don't believe in Jesus today, I know why you don't live this out. I'm not talking to you. Not yet. But for those of you who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ... Why is it that oftentimes the last thing to get converted in our life is our bank account, our pocketbook, our money? I gave everyone a test, you know, to see whether or not you worship God or money, a little mammon test, you know, because I believe Jesus Christ, I believe the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ should be leading my life. And the test was, let's say you're, you feel called to go to a certain university or you feel called to move and start a new job or start a new life in another state. Is the first thing you start with, I don't have enough money to do that, or I have enough money to do that, or is the first thing you start with, is this the will of God for my life? See, if something's the will of God for my life, I'll leave effort to come to Lebanon to plant the church. If something's the will of God for my life, I'll leave Texas to move to Pennsylvania with no job lined up at all, believing God is sending me, and that he, the God who is my source, will provide that resource. And this is the heart-searching reality of of what God's doing in our lives. And so the question is, what, what keeps us from living that verse out? Well, I think one of the things that keeps us from living it out is we actually don't think that we're rich in this age. Silly American did you know that the United States, that, that, that a person who makes 32, a household that makes $32,000 and above is in the top 1% of income in the earth? So let me ask you a question. Command those who are rich in this age to be ready to give, willing to share. Okay. If we aren't rich in this age, who is this verse for anyway? You could be a mind of this. It's that moment, the message where the oxygen gets sucked out of the room because you're mad at me or thinking deeply or something. Or maybe you do, True. Maybe we don't do it because we actually do trust in uncertain riches. And so there's a fear of giving it away because we don't trust that God is actually our source. We think the resource is. Or maybe you think that. Like, you're comfortable with doing all the giving and all that, but you just think doing good, being rich in good deeds, and being generous is an option and on a command of Christ, when it is, in fact, a command of Christ. In fact, there was a time when uh, uh, Paul the Apostle and was, was, had just got converted, he was beginning to walk with Jesus, the disciples were kind of checking him out, he was a little suspect to them because he had persecuted the church. But after they met with him and heard about his conversion story, they said, look, great, you go to the Gentiles, you go do that, just listen to what they said. Of all the things they could say, when they were boiling it down to Paul, they wanted him to, to just get this in their head. He said, just remember the poor. Yeah. I, I mean, think of all the stuff they could have said. Just remember to, you know, to go to malls and start churches, to build facilities so churches can meet. Go to do this. No, as you preach the gospel and go, please don't forget the point. And he said, the thing we were most willing to do. And are we in the same place? Are we as eager? I don't mean just, I'm willing to do it. <sighs> no, I'm excited about doing it. I-, I want to live to give. I love the fact that it says uh, to be rich in good deeds. You know what that means? Don't be scarce in them. Now, Pull up the mirror of your own life right now. Go stare into that mirror, and ask yourself the honest question. Am I rich in good deeds or scarce? Am I looking for opportunities to invest my life, or do I hold back? I'll do a little bit of something, but I'm really much more interested in in catching the football game this afternoon, and and, and a, a certain Netflix, or God knows the Disney streaming just came out, people. I want to do that, or, or what, I don't know what your deal is, or some of you are going to hit the hunt. I'm going to go hunting. I'm more excited about that. Listen, those are all okay things. I am not, I, 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 I got Disney streaming. I just did it, okay? I watch TV. I'll do that stuff. But listen, prior, we did a series on priorities. It, where is the priority of your heart? Is the priorities of your heart, the values of your heart, the same values as Jesus? Do you do it just enough to get by? Because you're trying to placate your conscience? Or as a messenger and a disciple of Jesus Christ, are you seeking to transform lives through your generosity? I want to tell you, we had a, a family gathering this summer right before Joanna's wedding. Actually, i say it's right after Joanna's wedding. We had the wedding, and then we were sitting around. We had our, our, uh, my nephew-in-law. So my nephew, I just he's my nephew, but he's Mexican. So you're thinking, Jimmy, I'm not seeing it. Right? I'm pretty Irish-looking. He's David's very, David is very Latino looking. We're sitting around, we're eating food. I forget, I don't know it was Lydia, I forget who asked the question, probably Lydia for those who know Lydia. said, hey, what 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 are some of the biggest differences between the culture here in the United States and and Mexico? Because he still lives in Mexico. And uh, they they serve at a church there, him and my niece. And he he said he had a couple different things, but the thing that really drop kicked all of us Is he said Mexicans are much more generous than Americans and I was like say on like look what do you mean he said well for example we had we had actually had a bag of chips out there we had a big bag of chips he said in in Mexico he said if we bought a personal sized bag of chips I would open it up I would take one out and I would pass it around automatically he said that's our culture it's a culture of generosity. And so we've made being generous about how much we have and all that stuff. They make it more about something else. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But my point is, we were deeply convicted. But here's what he was trying to get at. You know, Christians, he said, so he was addressing the Christians in our culture. He said, the Christians in the United States are, I mean, they love, they love, they love the doctrine, they love the word. But man, I don't know that they really love to give. This is why we got a disciple. On these things, and me included. When he said that, I was like, I mean, I like giving, kind of. I mean, mostly, you know. (laughs) No, man, I want to live to give. God so loved the world that He what? He gave. That's who He is. That's His nature. So here's what David was getting at: generosity looks like something in action, right? If, If if I said. If I said to you, forgiveness looks like something in action, right? You would know what that means. If I say giving or or generosity or serving looks like something in action, everything, if, if it's a value in our lives, should look like something. If somebody says they're a sports enthusiast, but they never watch any sports, they never go to a sports activity, they're probably not a sports enthusiast. They're trying to declare something over their life maybe they wish would be happening, but it's not actually happening. And some of us do our generosity like that. So I'm going to talk to you today about practicing generosity. Look at the heart of it. I'm going to to talk about a couple heart practices. And then we're going to look at a couple um, uh, 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 practical things that we can do to begin to practice this. All right? So let's dive into this. To practice generosity, study the Bible concerning generosity. Okay? This is a must. If If we are followers of Jesus Christ and we believe the Scriptures have any authority over our lives... We need, to, we need to take the Bible seriously as our go-to authority for deciding how we're going to view and use our resources. And if you don't do that, listen to this. If you don't do that, then you're simply going to do what's right in your own eyes, and then you're going to call it the Holy Spirit. I know a lot of people that do that. And I'll say, what, what, do you, what do you do with this verse? Oh, that's not important anymore, or whatever. Okay, well, uh... You got bigger issues than giving, pal. <laughs> I love the story. Some of you have heard Dave Ramsey's story, but Dave Ramsey, uh, who's pretty popular today on the radio and, and has his programs and training programs, Financial Peace University. He didn't start out. He started out as, as somebody who worked his way up in the real estate industry and became a millionaire. And as the as, when the market changed, he didn't know how to navigate that. Was a little a little too little too late. Lost it all and became impoverished and it caused him to seek the Lord. As he sought the Lord and surrendered his life to Jesus, he began to say, you know, not only my money, my, the way I think about money needs to get surrendered to the Lord and what he did is he studied the Bible to find out everything that the Bible has to say about money, about debt, uh, uh, about, about giving and about generosity and it began to inform his new way he lived and as he began to put biblical practices into place, he went from being a millionaire to being bankrupt, to being a, a, a multimillionaire again, really just through applying biblical principles, and of course, teaching all the rest of us how to walk out biblical principles. Anyway, you get the idea. But the one thing, if uh, there's a there was a course that I was a part of, his entree leadership course, and there's a lot of interviews from employees and things like that, but his employees are highly satisfied. And their own declaration is that their boss, Dave Ramsey, is phenomenally generous. And he has a lot of employees. And my point to you is simply this. He let the Bible begin to inform uh, his generosity. And I want to encourage you today that if you want to practice generosity, you need to let the Bible inform yours also. The second thing is to practice generosity. Listen to this. Know that it's not about the size of your bank account, but the size of your heart. Jesus tells the story of a widow who put in all the, there's, these, there's this offering that's happening, and there's these, all these people are giving sums of money. Some are giving very large sums of, of money. And then there's this poor widow, this older lady who comes up, and she puts in two copper coins. And Jesus calls his disciples over and says, look, guys, pay attention. That lady gave more than everyone else. Jesus wasn't making a financial statement there. Financially, she had not given more. Than everyone else, in fact, everyone else literally had given more than her. She gave the least amount of money, but listen to this she gave the most amount of her heart. I was, I put a, a, a kind of a survey out online this week, telling people for the next couple weeks, I'm going to be sharing some things on generosity. I wanted to hear some people's stories about how they could not outgive God, and this, this was just a precious one that came from a. a A lady named uh, Jennifer Usner told a story of her daughter. She said, our daughter Joy loves playing games at Hershey Park and winning stuffed animals. And she said she always plays the easy games because she wants to win, right? She then finds kids at the park who don't have stuffed animals and gives them what she won and loves seeing the smile on their faces. That's her motivation. What do you want to do? I'm going to give away my stuffed animals so I can see people smile. I can think of some poorer motivations for living. She says, our last visit there this summer, a person walked up to Joy with a huge stuffed animal, bigger than her, one of the big ones, from a hard-to-win game. So Joy plays easy-to-win games, gets little stuffed animals. Someone had played a hard-to-win game, got a big stuffed animal, and gave it to her. She couldn't believe it. And then I explained to her, the blessing always comes back bigger than anything we give. You cannot outgive God. How powerful of a story is that for a child to be learning this yeah. at this age? Yeah. And, and, and so here's a child that's cultivating the habit of generosity, of, of extending herself to others. But listen, uh, uh, you know, she, like, I know so many people that say, I don't have money to give. Going back to that rich in this age thing, I don't have any money to give. Well, I'm like, think about it for a minute. You know, I've got people, like, like we have money to stop and get a Starbucks. Somebody says I would never do that. We have money to. We have money to, to get some fast food or whatever. We have money to, to have these, these like Netflix and cable and whatever else. And I, I think more than really, like I know, you know some people can, they can go out and get a tattoo that costs you know, quite a bit of money, but they don't have money for the things of God. Well, isn't that really more of a value statement than anything else? Because they do have money. It's just, where is it going? And is God informing that or, or are we just making willy-nilly Decisions based upon that moment. No, Jesus, you know, Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and to give just like he did. That's just part of being a Christian. Which leads to the third idea. To practice generosity, the attitude of your heart matters as much as the action of your gift. To practice generosity, the attitude of your heart matters as much as the action of your gift. Proverbs 19, 17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he'll repay him for his deed. See, there can be a mindset that when I go to help, we've, we, have, we have people stand out here and kind of panhandle right outside in front of our, uh, maybe you don't know what that is. You guys use that expression down here? In Texas, we call it panhandling because we have the panhandle. But anyway, but it's people who come in there, they, they got the pan and they're handling it and they're asking for money. And so, and, and so we've, we've had people just flat out lie to us. I had a like, like words, God wants me to see that when I help this poor person, so I help this poor person. He was deceiving me. I'll tell you how I know that later. He was deceiving me. And I looked at him, and I said, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And I heard the scripture come back to mind: give to him who asked me. Okay, Lord, I'm giving to this guy. I, take, I didn't have any money, so I took him over to, uh, thank God I don't carry cash, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, I took, I took him over to uh, Turkey Hill, bought him whatever he wanted to eat, and all that stuff, and... And then I brought him back, and he gave me this story about how he'd had, you know, I'd been in the hospital, I just got out, and had his little medical band on. He looked kind of legit, and so uh, kind of met his needs, heard his sob story, prayed for him, right? When I helped someone, well, let me finish the story. Uh, about two weeks later, uh, I was over at the gas station over there at the Giant on, on uh, is that 8th Street or 7th Street, somewhere 8th Street. Yeah, over there, uh, you know, like, like Giant, the wine store and some other things there. I was getting gas. I was teaching Carissa. She was getting her license, how to load up the gas tank. And so he didn't see me. I was standing behind the car. Carissa was loading the gas. This guy approaches. It's the same guy. He approaches my daughter. Hello. He approaches my daughter and starts to give her the same story he gave me two weeks ago. And I jumped out and I said, listen to me. You get out of here. You're a liar. You're a scammer. You take advantage of the generosity of people, and if you're smart right now, you're going to leave. And he was like, ar, 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 you know, he just <laughs> ran off. Jimmy, wh- wh- help, me, help me understand generosity. See, see, it's one thing if I have a heart. Like, I could look at when I, my first thing. I gave to a liar. No, the Lord saw Proverbs 19:17. He saw the attitude of my heart when I gave was to give to the Lord, and the Lord saw that as lending to the Lord. I'm not the one who will be judged for my actions on the day of the Lord. He will for lying, for deceiving. And, but here's what Jesus said. Because of lawlessness in the end times, the love of many will grow cold. And it's incumbent upon us to keep our love hot, to keep our love warm, to keep our love on and not off. Does that make sense? And to do that, you have to understand this is mostly about a relationship with you and Jesus, less about What's happening to someone else? Even though you are relating to people, you're doing it. Jesus said, whatever you do unto the least of these of my brethren, you've done it unto me. Whatever you didn't do to the least of these of of, of God's people, you have done it unto me. Jesus takes it very personal whether you give or hold back from others because he sees it as you're doing it to him. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this. So let each one gives as he purposes in his heart. Could you guys put that verse up, please? So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Say cheerful. Cheerful. Okay, because there's a way that we can have a mindset with giving, right? I mean, I'll give, kind of like my birthday party gift, right? I'll give to something to help somebody. But God doesn't, he, he says, listen, purpose in your heart how you're gonna do it. This, the context of this in Second Corinthians is they were about to take up a significant offering to help a church that had gone through hard times in another region. And so he was writing to the Corinthian church to say, hey, we're gonna help the Jews in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem who just suffered They're kind of financial hardship. They're kind of going through a famine right now. We're gonna help them out right now. So I'm going to collect this offering. So I I want you to do this. You guys said when I brought it up a few months ago, you came and you said, yeah, we want to be in on it. But now there's kind of an attitude from some of you. And I'm telling you, give as you purpose in your heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. I've told people before, if you can't give joyfully, then maybe you shouldn't give. I shared with you a few weeks ago um, about my own situation with uh, when we were giving. And, and you know, uh, we, I began as a young man at six bucks an hour to begin to, to tithe. I had a wife. I had children. Tithing means giving 10% of your income. I made an intent to give 10% of my income to God. I'm just going to start with a number. And I began to do it. I didn't drive. I really did it because I wanted to be a worshiper of God. I, there was no give-to-get mindset in me. And we'll look at some of that next week. But, but there was no give-to-get mindset in me. And I, we had a situation where our car became impoverished, as it were, had some trouble, and a friend, a, a, one, actually my boss at work, began to see our need, loaned us his car, which was a brand-new Honda Civic at the time. It was a 92 Honda Civic. You can tell you how far ago that was. It was 94 when we borrowed it. Um, and he, he, saw, he saw our need, and he said, he called me in his office one day and said, hey, I want to, uh, I want to sell you my car. And I'm like, I can't afford your car. That car's like a twelve or $15,000 car. And he said, no. He said, I want to sell it to you for a dollar. He said, to help avoid some of the tax stuff. I'm telling you, had I saved up that money, God promises, we looked at Malachi, how God says, "If given it, given it shall be given unto you. Press down. I'm sorry, that's Jesus saying that. Malachi uh, uh, tells us to test God in this and see if he'll not open the windows of heaven if we begin to give to God's purposes. I couldn't have saved up in that little eight months, nine months, or a year, whatever it was, for a car of that caliber. God, God did that, but listen to this. I wasn't given to get. My, my, I had a cheerful attitude in giving, and I've had people say, I tried that, that tithing thing, and God didn't do that to me. Well, let's talk about your motivation. Was your motivation to worship God? Because mine was. Was your motivation joyful and cheerful, or was your motivation begrudging? Because God almost doesn't acknowledge that offering. There's a story in the Bible about Cain and Abel and their offerings, and how how Abel's offering was accepted by the Lord, and Cain, his brother's, was not. And I wonder, people, I've heard scholars talk about all kinds of stuff, and I just wonder if Cain gave his joyfully, I mean, Abel gave his joyfully, and Cain gave his in a begrudging manner. So God said, that's not real worship showing up here to church and singing songs and praising the Lord, if your heart's not in it, why are you singing? And if your heart's not in it, though, I'm not telling you not to sing. I'm saying, get your heart there. Jesus is still worthy of worship, even when I don't feel like it. And Jesus is still worthy of me worshiping him with my money, even when I don't feel like it. And I, so I get my feelings. I make them align, which leads to my next point. For the, the fourth point is to practice generosity. Prioritize giving first, not last, when you get paid. Like if if I waited to say, well, I'll, I'll take care of everything else, and if I have anything left over, I'll give to God. Friends, I would never have anything left over. I can always find ways to spend my money. Anybody else relate to that? And, and this is like people say, you know, you, this church they, they take up money, and like this, this didn't start with. The modern church. Modern church people have twisted it, have corrupted it, have made it about the ministry and the minister and themselves. I think that's, that's a corruption of the idea. You notice we don't pass around an offering plate here. If you want to give, you have to do it at the back and you can do it like ninjas. You can give online. I'll never even do like it. No one will know. You can, we, we, what, we, what we don't want to do is make you feel like the most important part of the service is us collecting money. It's not. To me, the most important part of the service is Jesus being worshiped, and after that, you being discipled. But these didn't come with us. Paul the Apostle told the church at Corinth that 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, on the first day of every week, do you know when that is? What is it? It's Sunday, in case you don't know your calendar. So Monday's the first day of my week. Check your calendar again. It's not. Um, it may be the first day of your work week, but it's not the first day of the week. On the first day of every week, each one of you, how many of you? Each one of you should set aside a sum of money, listen to what kind of sum, in keeping with your income. So there's a proportion of money that you're setting aside that's in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. We don't do that either, did you notice, anyway? So there's a couple things we learn from this passage out of the early church's practices. First is, prioritize giving first by giving regularly instead of sporadically, in this case, the first day of the week was good. So I think in that day, what happened was they would have a week of work and they would collect certain income. He just said, so while it's there and present, why don't you just take a set aside something in keeping with that income and give it to the Lord? If you got paid weekly, that would work. If you get paid on the 1st and the 15th, that probably won't. So I don't think this is made to be legalistic. It's made, some of you I got, We've got people who've got your own businesses and getting paid is kind of an interesting idea. And Floyd Zook did a Floyd Zuck did a Floyd Zuck did a great job last week, as a business owner helping business owners understand how he and all of us really understand how he thinks about first fruits, as it were. It was an first fruits the idea of giving an offering to the Lord first out of what you made. It was a biblical. It was an Old Testament paradigm. How to give that first? Okay, but most of us collect a paycheck, and however you do that, uh, whether it's the first, the fifteenth, once a month, every other every other week, every week. Just simply make it the priority to to say, okay, God, you're first in my life. You are my source. I'm going to worship you with this. So the first thing we do do is we prioritize giving first by giving regularly. The second thing we do is prioritize giving first by practicing percentage giving in giving with and keeping with your income. One of the first things that Lydia and I do, when I get paid, I just got paid on the 15th. I have on my mobile phone, I have the Lifeway app. And I pull that thing out. And I find a little give button at the bottom there. And it pops up my thing. And I type in the number. In keeping with my income. I take Immediately I take 10% and I give it to Lifeway. I give to other things too. But I start there. I just type that in. And I literally hold it there before I send it forth. And I literally have an interchange with God. And If some of you, I know some of you here are visiting from other churches, you can do this with your own money. Even if it's not digital. When you're holding that check and they pass the offering plate, I don't care how it works. But in that moment... Talk to God and say, God, I worship you with the resources that you give me, and I declare that you're my source. I ask that you rebuke the devourer, as your word says, for my sake. I ask that you would bless me, that I could be a blessing to others. And I'm thanking you for blessing me already, and I give to you in Jesus' name. And you would drop that check in the the offering plate, or I would hit the send button on my thing. And I like hitting the send button on my thing. And if you do text to give, text to give is the best, because text to give gives you a real response. It's like you type it in, and you give, and it's like God said, thank you for giving to Lifeway Church. I'm like, whoa, you know, it'll it'll respond right back to you, right? But my point is, is the, the, the way that works is I have a practice of regularly giving, I have a practice of percentage giving, and that makes a difference. And it's funny because I went through a season of my life where I tried to, well, I'm gonna, I didn't believe in tithing, that was an Old Testament paradigm. And so I called it percentage giving, so if you don't believe in tithing, I still believe Jesus is worthy of the organizing my financial world in such a way that I have a savings plan, a giving plan, and of course, a spending plan. And uh, I had a friend, it was a funny thing, because I went through a season where I thought that was okay to not do that. So Lydia and I tried that, and it just it didn't work real well. In fact, I had a friend text me um, uh, right after, he's, he's a member of this congregation, for those who know Mark Calkins, this is our conversation. We, he, he, I'm just jumping in the middle of the text. I don't have the picture of the text on my notes right here. He says, you can follow my income growth by looking at my tithe transactions. He puts a crazy face like this. And he wrote, he put in parentheses, see, I was listening this morning. I said, okay, now that's funny. You're the one, uh, I, uh, uh, I said, you're the one who doesn't believe in tithing, right? Just that generosity only instead I give as the Lord leads me. He said, no, I actually believe in tithing. Listen to what he said. We tried the non-tithing, just give cheerfully with no plan thing. And guess what? We gave a lot less. Now I love tithing. And I said, exactly. We did that too at one point. We went back to tithing. haha. He said, first thing I do when I get paid, and it's, listen to what he says, and it's, Pleasure. He said, I was in full agreement with what you laid out this morning. He's talking about a couple weeks, a few weeks ago, and I shared this. People who have tried both sides of this will tell you that it's better to have a plan to worship God with your money. The fifth thing, and the final thing here, is to practice generosity. Look for needs around you and meet them. Okay, don't just notice needs. Meet those needs if you can. 1 John 3, 16 through 19, prepare for the Jesus drop kick here. He says, we know what real love is. Say real love. Real. Because there could be fake love, right? Inauthentic in love. We know what authentic or real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. And so then John makes a point. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, here's the question he asks. How can God's love be in that person? Ouch. Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so that we will be confident when we stand before God. I'm gonna give us a challenge this week. I wanna give us a live to give challenge. I don't care if you go to another church, it does not matter. You belong to the big C church of Jesus Christ. And I'm asking that we'd all practice this. Don't wait for another week. Do it this very week, please. Because I think God wants to do something generous in our midst. There's two things I'm gonna ask you to do. First of all, let me tell you what I'm not gonna ask you. I am not going to ask you to give to Lifeway Church right now. I'm not gonna ask that at all. Because I think your first step is you need to see the power of generosity to impact the world. I've had church, I get church planting coaches, I'm I'm, I'm church planters who I coach them as in in planting churches because they see what God's done here at Lifeway. They wanna know what's the big secret. They're looking at my systems. They're looking at all this stuff. And I tell them, no man, you're looking at the wrong thing. There are four things that we do that if you do them, Jesus promises growth. The first thing is we pray. We pray a lot. We have 11 prayer meetings here a week. We have extra prayer meetings in the morning on Sunday morning, a couple extras. So you got about 13 prayer meetings. Why? We believe that we need the supernatural help of God to do anything helpful in this world. The second thing we do is we preach the gospel. Every single week we give people an opportunity to receive Jesus. It's happening in our youth groups. People are doing it in their workplaces. We preach the gospel. You've got to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to see people added to the kingdom of God. The third thing we do, though, is we practice generosity. You know, we give. Lifeway Church gives uh, at least 10% of our income into ministries, outside of ourselves, into services in the community. uh, we've, we, we support uh, the local, like the police and the uh, fire companies, and we support uh, uh, Susquehanna Valley Pregnancy Services, Lebanon, uh, LCCM, and other, other ministries that are in the region, and I don't even have it all plus front of you, plus uh, uh, missionaries. We have a couple of missionaries we give significantly to that could no otherwise support themselves in places like Papua New Guinea, um, in Myanmar, and places like that, hard places to do the gospel in the earth. LifeWay practices generosity. When people come into hard times in LifeWay, we help people who come into hard times. Obviously, we don't just give free handouts, but we give handouts if they're willing to go through coaching and stuff to be able to say, let's figure out why your finances are in a mess, and let's help you get this back up. But we don't leave them, we stop the bleeding before we promote the healing, you follow me? So, so we practice, the third thing. And the fourth thing we do is we make disciples of all that. And if a church, if a person will live that way, you're going to see the blessing of God. Jesus said, where I am lifted up, I'll draw. Amen to me. So here's what I'm asking you to do this week so you can get in on this generosity party of the kingdom. First, pray and ask God about who, who he wants you to give to. Who does he want you to give to? Who does he want you to give to? It goes like this. Lord, I just praise as we leave this service today, Father, you would show us, put into my mind someone I can help or help me to walk across someone's circumstance this week and to take note of that need so I can give. That's how you do it. And then listen, don't fight it. What comes to your mind comes to your mind. Trust the Lord that he's bigger. What if I made that up? Trust that he's bigger than you're making it up. He's bigger than your brain. The second thing is once you see who, then I want you to pray about what he wants you to give them. Does he want you to give them money? Does he want you to give them food or a gift or gift cards? Does he want you to give them cars or or tools or computers or devices? You know, when I was at Christ for the Nations in Dallas, they have this, this guy would come in. His name was... Uh, his name, oh, what was his name? <laughs> it's, it's like 30 years ago, sorry. Uh, his name was Wayne. And Wayne would come in and he would, he would preach this message All live to give. it. he was a missionary who lived it himself. And he, we had this week called Bless Another Week, that's what it was. And people would, I, man, people would give away money and clothes and cars. And uh, we, it was the craziest week. But I'll tell you what happened beyond the stuff changing hands was an atmosphere of generosity. You could feel Jesus in the atmosphere. This, this way of giving it away does something to us, the giver. In fact, Jesus was so strong on it. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's what Jesus said. But you're not gonna find out until you can do some crazy giving. You're not gonna feel that when you throw a dollar in the offering plate, unless a dollar is truly all you have. And like the widow, you're giving it with all your heart. You're gonna feel it when it feels sacrificial. There was a lady that I barely knew came up to me and she knew that I was engaged to Lydia. Lydia wasn't even someone on the campus, but she was praying and she felt like the Lord told her to give Lydia these these dresses that she had, brand new, beautiful dresses uh, that would have cost a lot of money. And she felt led to give those to her, so I gave them to Lydia. I don't think anybody gave me anything, but anyway, (laughs) that's the way that goes. Lydia had lived in poverty when she was growing up and she would pray and ask God, God, please don't ever let me like, I'll serve you with my life, but please don't ever let me be without clothes and those kind of things. And man, I, mean, I call it Lydia's clothing covenant. She literally has clothes given to her like, it feels like at least once a year, if not more. And I'm talking bags of nice stuff. And I'm like, and then she often has more than she can have. She, she has more than something that she can give away. I talked last week about making a heart covenant with Jesus Christ in the area of generosity. And, I, 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 and I've, this is how I do it. God, everything I have is yours. If you want me to move any of it away, I am looking forward to doing it. I'm not, I'm not begrudgingly doing it, I look forward to doing it. I know that whatever you ask me to give away, you will always do better than I ever can do. Does that make sense? So I want you to pray about who you can give to this week. And I'm looking for stories. As you, as you hear the stories, if someone does something for you, tell me the story. Or write us right into the office or call in. And if you were somebody who felt led to give, I want to hear your story. We want to hear it. And I want to finish this time with this. And I want to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ for a minute through this story. Um, so, some of you heard me tell this before, but I, there was a, a, about, I don't know, it would have been a while back now, probably, oh, God, like 15 years ago. I got into significant uh, consumer debt, uh, like, you know, at the tune of, I don't know, it was probably $25,000 at the time. And I didn't make a lot of money, so like you don't say, oh, I got more than that. Yeah, but you probably, there's a lot of people who make a lot more than I was making when you have it. So there's some relative things that work themselves out there. But I was at a place where my debt had gripped me to the point of a sleeplessness. Anybody ever been there? You don't know how you're paying your bills. You're trying to figure it out. Okay. That, I, I know it's not uncommon in the United States. And I woke up in the middle of the night one night at 3 a.m. and I came downstairs into my living room and I I sat downstairs and I was, was this is, uh, Golly, where did I live at the time? Yeah, this is when I lived in uh, New New Providence, down the southern end of Lancaster County. I came downstairs and I sat down and, and my heart was deep to grieve and I said, God, man, I've really gotten myself into a mess here. And it's not the first time I've done it. How many of you who's raised your hand? It wasn't the first time, like second, third, fifth, like we've done it before. And that's why it bothers us. And so I'm down there for my third or whatever, I think it was like my third time of seriously messing myself up financially. I'm sitting down there and I said, I was a pastor at the time. I just got into pastoral ministry. I was a youth pastor and an associate pastor at this little church in, at the Southern end of Lancaster County. And I said, Lord, as a pastor, if someone came to me and said, they kept helping this guy, But he keeps doing the same thing, I would say, quit helping that guy. You're just enabling him. How many think that's good advice? I thought that was great advice. Here's what the Lord said to me. You ready? He said, I'm not like you. (laughs) I'm not like you. And then I felt the presence. I don't know how to explain this. I felt the absence. I felt the presence of the Lord leave the room, as it were. I don't know how to explain that other than it's like God disappearing and saying, I'll talk to you later. I go to bed. I didn't know what else to do, so I tried to fall back asleep. Later that evening, I had to teach a class uh, at at another church, and we just started ministry. We had only been uh, a ministry here for a year when this happened. And I was teaching this class uh, on hearing God, and I had this uh, this this, you know about 20 or 25 participants. There was a lady who came early to the class, and she had this folded-up check she gave to me. She said, "We felt like the Lord wanted us to give this to you," and she said, "We've actually wanted to support you for a long time now, but we couldn't afford it. But here." So I took the check, I put it in my bag, didn't look at it, taught the class, got done with the class. I went to clean, it, clean up the classroom, and I don't know why it hit me at the end of the night right, when I was about to grab my bag, but I thought, yeah, I wonder how much that check was for. How many think you'd want to know how much that check's for, right? Because remember, I have financial need. I just cried out to God. I'm not even 24 hours later. I opened the check up. Are you ready for this? It was for $10,000. I went, do you ever know how to put the exclamation point on the end of a sentence that you're not like me? Here's the deal. God did not mind giving me money because he had already given me a son who died for my sins, not just my financial ones, but the deeper ones of my soul, the deeper ones of my own self will, the deeper ones that probably did And Some of you spent a ton of energy worrying about your money and not enough about the need of your soul. And Just like I felt unworthy of God's mercy on my finances, you feel unworthy of God's mercy on your poor life choices, because you know, if someone did to you the things that you've done to God and living for yourself, you'd not put up with it. You'd say, quit up with that guy. He keeps doing the same thing over and over again. And so you think, I, you think, know, uh, if I wouldn't put up with that with someone else, then maybe God won't put up with, put up with it with me either. We well, have a message for you today, are you ready? I'm not like you. He's not like you. He's merciful, abounding in grace. He's not the God of second chances, he's the God of fifth, seventh, tenth, and twentieth chances, if you're sincere. He called the church, he called his disciples, he said, hey, Jesus, how many times has someone sin against me and I forgive them? Uh, seven times? No, 70 times seven. And the apostles were like, all right, and he says, and if they do it, then he said, if they sin against you seven times in the same day and come back to you repenting, you shall forgive them. For us, it would raise the question whether they ever really repented, right? I'd be like, you didn't change your mind. You just played a game here. That's for God to judge. You got to be wise. I'm not talking to be foolish in this. Jesus was trying to make a, a point, hey, apostles, you guys have limits on your forgiveness and I don't. What's, what he's looking for is sincerity. He's looking to see, are you sincere about following him Then he is sincere about showing you mercy and giving you grace so that you can? Does that make sense? You can't become a generous person through and through until you receive God's generosity to you through Jesus Christ. Would you stand on your feet? God so loved the world that he gave. That's why he calls us to be generous with our practical stuff. Here's what he gave. Jesus Christ left heaven where he was worshiped night and day to come to this earth where he would be rejected by people did good to all, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, the Bible says, and the world treated him cruelly. He had some that followed, he had a multitude that followed, but there, there was another majority that had him beaten, crucified, executed, dead, and buried. God chose to say, hey, that was invalid. He raised him up on the third day of that crucifixion. He came out of the grave, the stone rolled away, he walked around for 40 days. People say, well, he just went straight to heaven. No, he walked there for 40 days teaching about the kingdom of God before he was called up to heaven. Could you imagine how the leaders of that day in a mess, a tizzy. When he ascended on high, 500 people saw it at once. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he declared to them, go into all the world, make disciples of the nations, do, preach the same and do the same stuff I've been doing. I'm coming back again. And if you can believe that, you will be saved. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We trade." The self-leadership of our own life, like myself and my finances that got me in trouble. And God comes back with this thing called grace. But Lord, I'm unworthy. He said, you are. But here's a gift for you. $10,000 wasn't meant to show me money. It was meant to show me grace. Are you understanding? God didn't care about the money. Money's not a problem for him. The Bible says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. There's no big deal to God. What He wants is surrender people who want to live surrendered lives that He can trust that stuff to. All right? But it starts with surrender. It starts with you giving yourself over to Him and what He did on the cross, and He requires it. Those who don't surrender to that will perish in a lake of fire apart from Him. Those who believe shall receive grace and find eternal life in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Because I know there's some of you here today that need to follow. Some of you grew up in church thinking that growing up in church makes you a Christian. Friend, it does not make you a Christian. Making a covenant with Jesus makes you a Christian. Inviting him to be Lord of your life, following him in the place of baptism later. But it starts with belief. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, the word says. And I wanna invite you to that today. If you're here today and you're saying, man, I want to follow Jesus Christ with my whole heart. I wanna try this. I heard that girl's testimony where she said, I was raised in a Christian home, but I didn't do it. I'm ready to do this for real now. Maybe that's you today. If that's you today, would you raise your hand high and let me pray for you right now? I want to lead you to Christ. See one, two. See two, three, anybody else? All right, let's pray. I'm gonna invite you all to pray because I'm gonna include parts of this that deal with our our personal giving ourselves away. Would you pray this with me? Say, God, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, particularly the sin of self-leadership in the sin of a self-willed life. And I choose today to deny myself, to take up my cross, so to speak, and to follow you. I ask you to to fill me with the Holy Spirit as I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. Help me to live a life of generosity and living outside myself towards others. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God thanks for those who say yes to Jesus.